And I want to talk to you about this thought, revival is my revenge. Say it with me. Say, revival is my revenge. Vince Lombardi was an amazing coach that coached the Green Bay Packers in kind of the NFL's early glory days. In fact, if you were to win the Super Bowl trophy, which obviously Los Angeles team won it, they have the Vince Lombardi trophy. No coach in National Football League history achieved more success in a shorter amount of time than Vince Lombardi. The guy did it in nine seasons in Green Bay, won five NFL championships, including Super Bowls one and two. Vince Lombardi did a twist on a Winston Churchill statement, and he is known for this quote. You ready for this? He said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. The Sean Smith paraphrase of that is the enemy's success is based on you being stressed. The enemy is at his best, let me say it another way, when you get no rest. That when we're at our most vulnerable place, when we're most vulnerable, the devil's most vocal. How many of you guys have known that, right? There are many times that simple temptations become surefire traps. In this past season, you hear more and more stories that bondage levels, warfare levels increased because of this thing where kind of all of our energy is expressed. I read this secular guy to describe adaptive energy and how much of our debt we're constantly adapting as a nation. Things look different. It's not our normal. We're kind of carrying a level of stress we don't realize. Our sleep is not the same. And in the midst of it, I believe that the enemy has increased his attack. I just need a quick informal Straw poll, show of hands. How many of you have felt an increased level of warfare, attack, fatigue, lack of rest? Come on, I think it's 99.9% of you, and the rest of you were too tired to lift your hands. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the enemy has a plan. His plan is to catch you empty. And if he can catch you empty, then he can do his best work. Now, hold that thought. We will revisit that very thought. I heard the Lord say, for me, and I believe for the church, don't treat as a disruption what was meant to be an interruption. You know what an interruption is, right? We interrupt this regularly scheduled program to bring you this announcement. You hold on because you know you're going to go back to your regularly scheduled. They told you it was interrupted. They don't say, hold on, we're going to disrupt because disrupt is not the same as interrupt. If we treat this last COVID 24 months as an interruption, our thought is we're gonna go back to what was, but God never intended it for you to go back. He's delivering you to a place he does not want you to go back from. You don't treat as an interruption was meant to be a disruption. I will be the first to admit to you, right? I don't really like cold. Winter is my least favorite season. I'm looking at the Winter Olympics because my wife likes that. I don't see too many black people on the Winter Olympics. Okay, can I just, can I just be real with y'all? Okay, we family, right? Inner city, Oakland, we ain't training for snow because it don't snow there. I don't like snow. I'll be all totally honest. I love y'all, so I'll come here when you got snow here in other places. But at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, water isn't moving, and my core life philosophy is neither should Sean, okay? So snow, right? Don't like that. I don't even know why I told you that, all right? I don't know what... Here's why I told you that. So many people treat COVID as if it's a harsh winter season. 
meaning that it's very limited amount of time, but bam, baby, we're going to be in spring. It's going to be awesome. Come on, just weather it through. We thought that, but I mean, you know, two years later, we're finding out it wasn't a winter season. It was an ice age. Come on, somebody, right? Because think of what ice age did. It was a reset. The Lord, yes, yeah, somebody said, ooh, come on now. The Lord, I, I, here's the word I believe. I believe the pandemic is a portal. I believe that God is fast-tracked, bringing us to a place. In the ice, set, the ice age, there was a lot of things lost, but it's an invitation to something new. I live close to San Jose, California. And in fact, coming out of college, I was offered a, a job by Intel. And so Intel offered me a job with great benefits and all this stuff. And at that time, I walked out on my college campus. Uh, a kid had uh, early in the week committed suicide on my campus. God broke my heart. I called the Intel folks back. I said, no, because God spoke to my heart and says, I, I, I got to do something. I don't want college students committing suicide. And so he kind of broke my heart and backdoored me into vocational ministry. That's, that's a whole nother story. I didn't mean to, sorry about that. Woo. And so in that, man, my heart was so gripped to reach college students. But here is the thing that I think what happens is situations and circumstances happen to us, but it's an invitation to live differently. This past season is a portal. Ice age, things die, but it's an invitation to live differently. And it's an invitation to pursue something at a whole other level than what we pursued before. Now think about it, right? Every single, this is where I was getting to. I was invited and offered a job by Intel, right? San Jose, California, is the epicenter of startup companies, right? All the dot-com, like, boom, took place over there. I believe that this past COVID season, what did we learn from COVID season? I believe every church, every ministry, every follower of Christ has now become a startup program. That is totally different when you start up. It's exciting. It's like I talk to people and they said, hey, man, we had to close the doors of our church. Hey, man, this thing happened and it didn't, didn't translate. I believe that the church of North America is in a glorious startup program. And I'm excited because it's a reboot. Come on, somebody. Right? Reboot. And God is going to do some great things. Now, final thing I want to tell you. Uh, not final thing, that's not accurate. Before we read our passage, final thing, I want to be honest. Got to be honest in the pulpit. I feel like every place in this last season we went, met with no. Like in our area, there's still, and I'm, I live in a county where I cannot eat uh, at a restaurant without a vaccination card, right? And I'm not trying to make a statement whether you're jabbed or not jabbed, but I'm not, so I can't eat at these restaurants. I've had a lot of the COVID, so I kind of got this natural built-up immunity. Oh, y'all gonna clap for me for that? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, okay. Y'all are awesome. But I feel like we've met with no's, N-O, apostrophe S, I feel like we've met with no's everywhere we've turned, but here's the thought. Maybe the massive big no of the pandemic ice age is giving space to a gigantic yes for what God is about to unleash. Maybe God cleared your palate. Come on, somebody, that green stuff when you eat sushi, right, and stuff, to clear your palate to get you ginger, to get you ready just kind of came to me, what is it? So what is the word you're going to say? And you're going to go to 1 Samuel 30. Here's the word I want to tell you. Nothing can be worse than the return to normal. 
I want you to think about that for a second. Nothing can be worse than you to return to normal. God is shaking us. And as he's shaking us, this is a glorious thing. We're salt, but come on, God used this thing to shake the salt shaker, right? We've been in the salt shaker to get the salt out of the shaker because this is the destined impact we're meant to have on planet Earth. Now, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziglag and attacked Ziglag, burning with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his son and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake him? And he answered, That would be God. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover. Somebody say, Recover. All. Say all. Come on. So David went, he and his 600 men were with him. They came to the brook Bresor, and those stayed uh, where those who stayed were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, too weary, so that they could not cross the brook Bresor. And so we're going to stop right there. This past couple years has been a season of loss. I think about people, that, and I've talked to many, many people, people that have lost jobs, people that have lost health, people that have lost sanity. Come on, some believers that have lost a witness on Facebook rant. Hello, somebody. People that got lost. There should have been a bigger amen. Come on, so all of us know folks that did that. Some of us have gotten lost in our losses, and some of us have even lost dear friends and relatives. Uh, every December, my wife and I, we take and we have that as a sabbatical month, and we go pretty hard the first 11 months, so it's always good to have a month where you just shut it down, you pray, you seek the Lord, and, and, and everything else. And so we were coming into, uh, this would have been December of 2020. So we're going to go into 2021. We came back, sabbatical, awesome time, highs. I mean, we saw God do some phenomenal, incredible, incredible stuff. Like there was a guy that had been diagnosed with ALS. We're at a church in Miami, speaking of Florida. We're in Miami, Florida. I got a chance to preach for one of my heroes right there. He was a powerful evangelist when I was a youngster, Rich Wilkerson. I got a chance to preach for he and, and Dr. Robin down there. And so there was a guy there that kind of does a rescue mission, kind of does a dream center, and he had been diagnosed as ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. In the medical community, they go, that's a death sentence. And man, Rich literally wept. He wouldn't mind me sharing because he, sh he shared this. He literally wept and he said, Sean, would you pray for, for him? I don't want to be in a city where this guy isn't laboring by my side. And so my, my wife was preaching that night. She prophesied over him. I come up behind him. I lay hands and pray for him. Three days later, he goes to the doctor. The doctor does the battery of tests because they're going to increase whatever medication. But they're just buying time, you know, in terms of just say it bluntly. But when he goes to run the test, the guy 
does not have ALS. He's completely 100% healed of Lou Gehrig's disease. The doctor says, it's a miracle. I've never seen this. And man, the dude comes back and Rich and this guy, they've been on television because I think Rich and him, he does some TBN stuff. And this guy, he shared his testimony. And I go, oh my God. And then I come right out of that and I come home and I get a call about three o'clock in the morning. It's a call nobody wants. About a week earlier, seven days earlier, we had transitioned my mom into senior assistant living. She was battling with Alzheimer's and just needed an extra set of eyes. There was a precious friend of hers that was a roommate. And my, my mom was pretty self-sufficient, but she would maybe leave the stove on or certain things that we just, we needed to help her. It was a nice place. I mean, we visited a lot of places and I go, oh, heck no, I'm not putting my mom in those places, okay? I'm just going to be real. And we finally found a place that was awesome. And they had activities, and they were doing cool art and stuff, and they had certain people come in and do things. It was cool. They had movie nights, and I just thought, oh, man, my mom could flourish. I wanted to flourish. I don't care if I got to drive Uber on weekends, but I'm going to put my mom in this nicer place. And then I get this call, and as I get this call, uh, she had collapsed uh, just literally about an hour before that, she had lost consciousness. They had to call 911. She's rushed to St. Rose Hospital in Hayward, California. Uh, they say, you got to get down to the hospital right now. And so immediately we're throwing on our clothes, and it's the call nobody wants. I'm in the car, and I'm just quiet, man. And, and, and it's like, it's this thing. And so I'm going to the hospital, and I, I walk in the room, and she's hooked up to all these different tubes. And the end of the, store, end of the day, uh, the doctor says, nothing we could do for her. And then I'm, I'm just with my hands on my head. I'm just in this room, and I'm praying, and I'm praying. I'm saying, God, give me a word. Let's, let's raise her from the dead, God. Smith Wigglesworth did this. I mean, this is your mom. And I've since discovered this. Anyone has ever lost their mother, I, I've said this to someone. I said, a unique thunderbolt of loneliness strikes your soul when the person that brought you in the world that's known you the longest leaves. And I remember in that point, and here's the point I'm trying to bring out. Although we preach victory, right? We preach victory. And, and what's the default? We're not going to be preaching defeat. We are victorious. Thanks be to God that always leads us in triumph. But as human beings, we walk this unique, tedious balance between, as believers, victory and vulnerability. There's those times when your humanity comes face to face and it introduces you to just how vulnerable. This past season, it kind of revealed to us as I'm talking about losses, about just how vulnerable we are. And it's this ability to kind of divinely juxtapose the vulnerabilities of life and the victories of life at the same time. This is exactly where we find David. Now, we, we've read that passage. And so here is the thing with David. David is going through this most incredible, and I'm going to break it down in a moment, season of loss, not knowing that his problems will become his portal, not knowing that this was going to be a reset because in the midst of his worst place, Ziglag, he doesn't know. David, I'd love to be able to stand outside of history, prophesy to you the crown is coming to Ziglag because in three chapters, he's going to be king. And, and a, this was a transitionary moment. Now, before we get there, here is the word that I feel like God's given me. And I probably have said that three times already. You ready for this? I know there are a lot of words and some great prophetic ministers and prophecies, but the word the Lord gave me, I spent my December praying. And the Lord says, this 
season is a season of restoration. God is going to restore stuff you never thought you'd get back. We as the church are going to recover stuff. And I believe we're going to recover a faith handed down once and for all. I believe their mantles as we've lost some great spiritual generals. I was just thinking about David Young, Cho, and others. But I believe that there's going to be a recovery of the things that they represent. Reinhard Bonnke, Billy Graham, many, 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 many others. And, and the word restoration is interesting when you look at it from the biblical lens. We think of restoration, we think of just getting back what we lost, right? But when God talks about re restoration, is getting back to the original intent. You don't just get back what was taken from you. You get back to what God originally purchased and purposed for you to begin with, so you end up with more than what, so here's what happens, is the enemy thinks he can attack you, but God's gonna use it as an opportunity to bless you more than what you lost by the devil's attack. It says restoration. Somebody say restoration. Isaiah 42, 22. This is the COVID passage in the Bible. You didn't know it. You ready? Isaiah 42, 22. It says in Isaiah 42, verse 22, it said, but this is a people robbed and plundered. I lived in a place in the Bay Area that at some point during COVID, uh, Antifa and BLM, they were encouraged by someone. They would put out these bricks on pallets, and they were like, like throwing bricks in, at a target. And they took over a Best Buy. They broke it. We made national news, all the damage. And I have a friend. He's actually my martial arts instructor, spirit-filled guy, retired officer. He said, they're coming to your neighborhood. Like, oh, my God. And then it was funny because I was just thinking about this, David. I, we I was watching Netflix. Okay, just being honest. Right? I was watching some Netflix, right? And the number one and number two movies at that time was Contagion and The Purge. I'm like, I don't need to watch Contagion and The Purge. I can look out my living room window and see The Contagion and The Purge. Hello, I'm living Contagion and The Purge, right? A sister pointed at me from back there. Come on, preach that. This is a people robbed and plundered. It says all of them are snared in holes. Come on, quarantine. Come on, somebody says they are hidden in prison houses, right? We feel like it, like there's been some overreach going on there, y'all. There's some agendas. And it says they are for prey, P-R-E-Y. They are for prey and no one delivers for plunder. And here's how God finishes his prophecy through Isaiah. And he says, and no one says restore. The real crisis is not a disease. The real crisis is not the built up animosities, anxieties, mental health, and all that stuff. Those are issues. Those are problems. The real crisis is, is God finding an intercessory cry to restore amongst his people. He said people are, are, are robbed, plundered, snared, hidden in prison houses for prey. But then he finishes by saying, and no one says restore. It's like you learn to live in survival, but I'm trying to give you revival. You develop these survival skills. You, you got to the point where all of a sudden our conversation is complaining how bad it is. That's how, our, that's how we can have, find commonalities with folks. It's, oh my God, before it was the weather, before it was a local sports team, if they won or lost. And now we're comparing Ovid, COVID, Ovid, COVID owies, right? And here's this thing, and God is saying, and I believe it's true, when God is ready to do something new, he first puts a cry of restoration. And there's this thing to restore. Now, again, restore. I, I have an old 2008 kind of car that just continually has problems. And my wife says, you just need to give up on that. And it, it's kind of like, you know, the old cars, there was a car, Fiat, that was like a, I think it was an Italian sports car. But it, it, when I was coming up, like uh, Fiat 
represents fix it again, Tony, because it spent more time in his garage than it spent in your garage, okay? My car is kind of like that. I'm always having to repair it because in inner city, urban, dictionary, Oakland terms, it's janky, okay? My car is janky, right? I got a newer car, but that's a car I'm just trying to hold on to, right? And so it's janky. Well, down the street, I live in a cul-de-sac. My neighbor, I see her because I drive past. He opens up his garage. He's working on a cherry red 1965 Ford Mustang. Ooh. Now, know there's a difference between repairing a janky car and restoring a classic. I think too many Christians are just thinking God's just going to repair our janky faith that was kind of hold together that we keep having to kind of go get counseling, go get breakthrough, go get prayer, which that's always the Christian life. No, God says, I'm going to restore a classic Christianity, a signs and wonders movement. Come on. I'm going to restore the voice of the prophet, the apostolic church planning. I'm going to restore my name being made famous in the earth. Come on, somebody. Somebody say restoration. And I felt like I got this word for you guys. I want to say this for you. I felt like God said for your life center, I'm going to turn your devastation into restoration. Mm, mm. Now, David had these series of disastrous events, but let's rehearse where David was before these disastrous events. Where was David? Like I'm, I'm telling you the pre-March 17, 2020 version of the life for David. David had and was, he had, killed Goliath, and he was a military war hero where literally he was trending on their Twitter as the guy that killed tens of thousands. He was a war hero. The guy had been anointed with oil, right? They had anointed him with oil, and he was anointed to be the next reigning monarch of the nation of Israel. This guy, David, man, was at this particular time, man, mentored by the venerated prophet Samuel. He is the head of the division of an army. He's a national hero. He is married to King Saul's daughter, Michael, which makes him the prince. You're a prince about to become a king. Life is good. Hashtag best life now. Come on, somebody. But, somebody say but. And there's a big but right here. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I like big butts and I cannot. No, 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 just kidding. Just kidding. Y'all know you got an urban brother up here. You know I'm going to have to make some references to something urban, right? That's just, it comes out. One of the pastors say, Sean, when you get up there, I think it was Sean, Chandi, be you, bro. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be me, man. I'm going to break out big butts and I cannot lie. No other brothers try to. No, okay. <laughs> anointing, come back, come back, anointing. Come back, come back. And in one fell swoop, David's March 17th, 2020 lands on his life landscape. In that point in time, he all of a sudden becomes a fugitive with hired assassins against him. The king has turned adversarial and even demonic, throwing spears at him, right? He is separated from his father. No mention of his mom, which is typically, I can relate to this, he probably has lost his mom. One of his last encounters, in fact, our, biblically, the last encounter with his brothers, they blew him off, said, you're full of pride. Your own family is accusing you, right? They put him on serious blast. His spiritual father figure and mentor, probably the man he's closest to now, Samuel, dies on him. In the midst of all of this, he's a fugitive. He's hated by King Saul. Somebody say bad day. Come on, somebody say bad day. 
He's pursued by large divisions of an army. Many of the people associated with his life were assassinated by bloodthirsty King Saul. His first wife, Michael, pieced out and dipped and left with another guy. This guy is kind of feeling, come on, you think you had some losses in the last season? And then all of a sudden it gets so bad, he, remember, he killed Goliath of the Philistines. The, the Philistines were like any Trekkies out there. They were the Klingons of the Old Testament. They just kept coming back. He goes to work for the Philistines. That's how bad it's got for one hot minute. You go work for the enemy? He's in a bad season. Scholars tell us that it had been 10 years since he, in this time, 10 years since he wrote a psalm. Imagine going through a period where you lost your psalm. I'm not just talking about, you, know, you, you think of it as more than just a tune that comes out of your mouth. It means the joy and that place in your heart where there's hope and there's an excitement and there's a zest of life. Does any of that sound remotely familiar to what this nation has gone through in the nations of the world? In the midst of all of this, the Philistines, he's working for them, going out and doing battles, almost as a hired mercenary. And all of a sudden, he comes back one day to get his, you know, whatever, this is the thing that we need you to do today. And the Philistines fired him. He lost his job. What, what they said literally is the king says, in case we go into battle, and they were about to go into battle with Israel, Saul and Jonathan would lose their life. He says, we can't trust David. Maybe he's going to try to get, get in good with his former boss, and he might turn on us. So he's fired. He's given a pink slip. So here's a guy, everything I just mentioned, completely demoralized. And what do you do? You go back to your family, right? On the bad days, you just think, oh, my God, i got to get back to my spouse, my kids. They believe in me. And as he's walking towards Ziglag, which was a, a territory and settlement that the Philistines had, had loaned and given David as he was fighting battles, he sees smoke rising up from Ziglag. Now, I got a family. If you see smoke coming up from a place, it's because we're having a barbecue. Come on, man. One of my uncles is on the pit rolling some, some, some spare ribs. Come on, some. I mean, some deep southern barbecue. Anybody had deep southern barbecue? Come on, somebody, right? Somebody got some barbecue chicken up there. It's good. I ain't talking about no KFC. I'm talking about legitimate barbecue chicken, okay? But the smoke coming up from Ziglag was not the family barbecue. It was just the opposite. Your family has been smoked. The Malachites, the enemies of Israel and David, had come and they kidnapped. We read it and stole all of David's stuff and took off. So imagine this is in the same period for this guy. And in the period of this time, can it get any worse? Yes, it can. Stick with me. The Bible says his own men picked up stones and getting ready to stone him. There you go. The bottom just fell out. This dude earned a breakdown. You earned, curl up in a fetal position, put the thumb in him. Man, you earned it, bro. Come on, man. Get Zoloft, Prozac, get all the stuff. Man, whatever, right? Because this is the, what, like, is there a way out of this? Now, let me stop and talk about these guys picking up rocks. Isn't it funny? These dudes are picking up rocks to stone David. From David's perspective, like, hey, man, I discipled you guys. I taught you guys. You're in my Bible study. Isn't that, isn't that hurtful when people you, I pray for you in the hospital, I visited you, I was there for you. Those people betray you. This is the season that many people find themselves because there's an anger that people have and it's a misdirected anger. They, they're feeling an unrest in their soul and they're feeling this emotional rawness of all the losses and the guys pick up stone to stone David. And you think if you're David, what are you thinking? And the Bible says this 
powerful thing. And I'm going to shout before I say it. Oh, okay. Now I'm back from that primeval moment. The Bible says David strengthened himself in the Lord. Oh my God. I don't even know you. Like, not, no, put yourself in that position. The, the word there in, in the Hebrew is chazak. It means to fasten a grip. The turnaround moment for the church are the people that begin to fasten a grip. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that which is unshakable will remain. So what does that require on me? You got to learn how to chazog. You got to learn how to fasten a grip. You got to learn how to hold on to the word of God. Hold on to your quiet devotional life, prayer time. Hold on to the presence of God. Hold on to your convictions. Hold on to the, uh, everything that God has ever given you, the promises God has given you, the dreams God has given you. We need some folks. Come on, just reach up right now and chazog. Come on, we fasten in a grip. He says he strengthened himself. Come on, man. Pastor Charles will preach an awesome message, but I can't wait till next Sunday for him to strengthen me. I got to know how to strengthen myself. Come on. You may not be there to encourage me. You may not be there to give me the hug like Ann gives you a hug, like you feel like you can conquer the world. But I'll tell you what, I can get up on Monday morning. I can open up some Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Come on, somebody. You may be reading your chakras and burning your sage. I'm burning the midnight oil in prayer, prayer and reading some Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts because I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. Tell somebody, say, think about that. The Amalekites didn't just do a drive-by. They pulled up a U-Haul. All right, now I'm going to try to incorporate some generations. Gen Z, imagine the Amalekites rolled up in your house, came up in your room, took your Nintendo Switch, your video games. They took your brand new iPhone, iPhone 13 that you got for Christmas with all your contacts and all your instant messages and social media. They hacked it, and this is what they ran off with. All right, now I'm going to go to the millennials. They took your MacBook Pro hard drive and burned down your favorite coffee spot. Come on now. <laughs> men, I'm coming after the men. They took your 65-inch Samsung flat screen in 5K with built-in Roku, and you just got the sports package. Come on, somebody. Come on, ladies. They took your Magnolia Forms table cookbook. <laughs> With Chip and Joanna Gaines, they had signed it, gave actual illustrations. Somebody went, no. <laughs> Come on, I'm coming for the builders now. They took, after 12 seasons, you finally had to accumulate the full set of Bonanza DVD series with Jane, what's his name, Lauren Green and, and Haas and Little Joe and the brother, nobody remembers his name. They took your Bonanza DVD. If you from the hood, they took your boo, your baby girl, and Bubba. Come on, somebody. They, did I leave anybody out? And when they were done, they burned Ziglag to the ground. Because why? The Amalekites aren't after your weakness. They're after your strength. They're trying to break you. It's one thing you hit me in a, in a weakness, and I think if I'm just a little bit strong, I can handle it. But if you... Go at my strength and defeat me. This is what the enemy's after. What does ziglag mean? Ziglag means to literally, if you look it up, there's actually two shades of meaning for the name ziglag. Remember, they're at a place called ziglag. Names in the Old Testament and the Bible, often prophetic. Ziglag means pressed into surrendering something. 
The devil wants to use, what is this COVID about? The enemy wants to use this last season to press you into surrendering your faith, your convictions, your standards, your promises, the level of Christianity you believe you can attain to, the way that God wants to use you. The enemy's trying to use, and Ziglag, one thing I know about Ziglag, Ziglag problems don't come one at a time. It's not like you pull a little thing at the DMV and they call your name. Don't you wish your problems would pull a tag and come at you one at a time when you're ready to call them in? But in Ziglag, all H-E double hockey sticks breaks out seemingly all at once. Anybody could wave their hand in the air. Come on, somebody's waving two hands and a leg right now. All right, I got a sister doing this. She's getting a little snap in it, okay? All of this happened to David, and then the Bible says, David, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Give me, give me about seven minutes. We're going to be done. But then it says, David said, bring me the ephod. The ephod was a vest. I, I'm trying to liken it to some. It was a vest, not liken it, it literally was. It was a vest that the priests wore, that they wore particularly in communication with God. The priest prophets would do it. It was kind of like Batman's old school hotline, right? And so when other people would throw in the towel, David reached for the ephod. Let me just say something to you, church. I believe right now, now is not the time to throw in the towel. Now is the time to reach for the ephod. And you know what is really encouraging? I'm finding... Yes, many churches are going into 21 days of prayer and fasting, 40 days of prayer and fasting. Believers, many of them started off the year. I've seen more 24-hour houses of prayer, more J-hops and I-hops and other, all kind of hops, man, breaking out all over. I feel individual believers are discovering their prayer life again. And, and I'm seeing home groups and stuff begin to connect. People are hungry. But let me tell you, this is so important because right now we need to ephod. We need to hear the Lord, right? We're hearing from CNN, MSNBC, Yavin, Fox News. We're hearing from the hundreds of talking heads on all those satellite channels. We're hearing from the conspiracy theorists. We're hearing from the, the angry people on this end and that end. We're hearing from the partisan kind of Christian group that's kind of trying to push the church on a political thing. Let me tell you what. Yes, we are going to influence politics, but we're seated in heavenly places. I'm trying to, and if I'm seated in heavenly places, I'm not sitting on the left. I'm not sitting on the right. I'm sitting above all that. Come on, somebody. I want to, oh, do not believe for a moment. Here's what people think, and, and I, I voted biblically, so just let you know that, where that's at. But there's so many people that think in the church we can't have revival because of who the president is. Can you imagine? You know nothing. Like, I'm, I'm just going to be real to you. I'm going to say it with a smile on my face. Nice. You know nothing about revival history if you say that. Some of the greatest revivals happen under socialists, communists, dictators. Man, revival in Uganda broke out just under the telling. I had a great friend under Idi Iman, Idi Mean Dada, whatever. Let me tell you what, revival. Hey, it's not who's in the White House. It's who's on the white horse. Come on. His name is Faithful and True. Come on. Let's just get this straight. I think... That maybe this past season is a portal for us to discover, right? The real command control center is not the White House. It's not the Pentagon. It's the prayer room. If my people who are called by my name, I got to hold up my pants, y'all. I don't know. <laughs> I went on a fast, lost a little weight until I didn't bring a belt. Oh, man, TMI. Ziglag. <laughs> Ziglag. <laughs> My wife would be turning red right now. I could just see her. This is going out to other nations, right? Uh, Ziglag not only means to press someone into giving up something, but get this, secondary meaning. It means an outpouring of a fountain. So watch it. The devil wants to use COVID season to press you into giving up something. But God is saying you're at a Ziglag 
The secondary meaning is an outpouring of a fountain. What if it isn't about you giving up something? It's about you discovering there's a fountain of outpouring awaiting a church who will call upon a God that's been waiting to pour out his spirit. He's just waiting for us to get thirsty. The Bible says that I will pour water on them that are thirsty, right? Rivers on dry ground. Come on, what's the name of the network? Rivers on dry ground. Come on, I think that's prophetic. Now, let me skip to this part. So when David gets the word, because he says, God, shall I pursue? Which shows you his mindset was on the offense and not on the defense. And God said, pursue, you surely recover all. Restoration is the word, David. So he's ready to fight. Now I can imagine, like, come on, think with me. These dudes got rocks, right? They trying to stone you. And guess what he does? He said, guys, man, the Lord spoke to me. Let's go fight the Amalekites. This dude's dropped the rocks. Yeah, let's go. You know what that tells me again? Is that we're inherently militant. It's in our DNA to fight, but if we don't fight the right fight, we end up fighting each other and splitting churches. Fighting over the color carpet, and whether you're sitting in a pew or you're sitting in a seat, you sing traditional, you sing contemporary, or you didn't sing my songs, or you're singing Upper Room, but you're not singing Maverick City, or you're singing Maverick City, you're not singing, hey, stop that. Like, get your iTunes playlist and download your favorite worship songs. But when you come here corporately, we're doing this for Jesus, not for you, okay? I'm just gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. We ain't worshiping you. You're not Junior God, okay? We worshiping Him. It's about Him. Let's make a song in our heart. Doesn't matter really what we sing as long as it's a vertical song lifting up Jesus. Just give your heart to him. We start fighting over stuff and I saw this stuff come out of us. But hopefully it got out of us, man. Because we got to drop the stones and recognize what the real fight is. We got to fight for our communities. We got to fight for our friends. We got to fight for our family. We got to fight for our nation. We don't have time for all the infighting. That's got to stop. There's a whole group of people in terms of harvest ready to get saved. They just want to see us drop our stones, somebody. Oh, drop them stones. Catastrophe brings out the best in people and the worst. It brought out stones in them, brought out David, ephod. Now let me stop and give you this. Okay, all right, I'm doing good. I'm doing good because I'm going to cut out a major part of this. Got to give you this story, though. My grandmother... She was a culinary expert. My grandmother, you ever see the show I watch with my wife, Beat Bobby Flay? My grandma could beat Bobby Flay, right, in meatloaf, right? He would just give up like, ooh, Grandma Ethel, my God, your meatloaf wins, okay? My grandma, seriously, my grandma made meatloaf. I know some of y'all look at me like, meatloaf? Ground beef and ketchup on it. No, 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 that's a hamburger. That's not meatloaf. My grandma mixed up onions and all kind of stuff and tore up a little bit of bread in there and reached deep into some cornmeal. She put all this stuff. Then she didn't get no Heinz red sauce. My grandma made her whatever the red stuff on top. It was just pure goodness. It was Mary's Supper of the Lamb sauce. Y'all get ready for this. She put it on top of that. And so you're thinking, right, like meatloaf, meatloaf, right? Man, my grandma's meatloaf, most meatloaf isn't moist seven minutes out the oven. My grandma's meatloaf was moist seven days coming out the refrigerator, right? It was still moist. In fact, I believed all, all meatloafs were created equal. Then I went to college. Jamil and I ate in the cafeteria, and it was having meatloaf. I was all excited. I took a bite of that thing. My tongue ran to the back of my tonsils. It went into protest. It formed a trucker's convoy. It was not letting that stuff through. I started gagging. I spit the stuff out. I just couldn't do it. So I said, meatloaf. So when I was in sixth grade, right, I went to the school. There was a bully, 
This bully Eric, man, he was part Samoan, part African-American. He was six feet, probably 200 pounds. I don't know. His, his dad was big. And so he's bigger than all of us. And he matured quicker than us, right? He had whiskers on his chin. I still can't get good whiskers. I can't even get a beard from here to here. I have beard envy. Every dude has got a beard. I can't even grow, right? My, my, my wife says, you're hairless. Like, that's probably TMI right now, okay? I, 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 just, I don't grow a lot of hair. I, I do in the right places. But outside of that, you know, TMI, TMI, TMI. Okay, back to the anointing. This dude not only had whiskers, he had grown man funk. He had to use right guard. He had stank. See, it's one thing when you have stink. Urban definition, when you have stank, when you have stink that sticks to you, it's stank. He had stank. It stunk. But he would bully us. He would punch us and say, me and punk, boom, boom. And so one day I had my, my grandma's meatloaf. She maybe, I, I couldn't afford hot lunch. So every now and then my grandma would make a meatloaf sandwich. It was my hot lunch. It was like, oh, yeah, awesome, awesome. And so... I would take a bite of it. We had those desks that lift up, which that was perfect because I could hide. That was a sh Captain America shield, right? <laughs> I'm eating a bite of my sandwich. Mid-morning, I would take another bite, and I would eat the rest of my half. So I'm at the mid-morning recess. I just step outside the threshold door. I didn't even go all the way out to the playground because I got my sandwich. Open up this little bag. My grandma would wrap it up in like a paper towel. And so I was biting it, and the bully Eric comes out, grabs my grandma's meatloaf sandwich, takes a big old bite, throws it on the ground in front of me and stomps on it just like this. Immediately, my right part of my mouth, my lips started quivering. You know when your kids are going to go to this deep place of anguish? That's little kids' anguish when they're, they're trying to fight it and it's just quivering. And he just said, yeah, punk, what are you going to do? And all of a sudden, this thing is quivering, but I just also need to let you know, my left eye started twitching. <laughs> this right here is I'm a victim. This right here is, oh, no, you didn't. This is, I'm about to go 5150. Next thing I know, this is a true story, absolutely true. I don't know if I could even verbally do it justice. I'm flying in the air. He's six feet, 200 pounds. I'm five, seven. I'm not 100 pounds. I'm the skinny dude with a big old afro. I look like a chocolate Q-tip. That's what I look like. I am flying through there. Q-tip man, right? I'm flying through there. I punch him. I knock him down. All you see is skinny elbows flying. I'm doing this dude up, right? All of a sudden, this is how ghetto our high school, our uh, junior high was, sixth grade, right? Actually, it was elementary, about to go. My teacher was also my principal. So when he sent you to the principal, your teacher's already there. He comes out, he breaks it up, pulls me off of him, and he says, Sean, this is not like you, and it really wasn't. I, I was not an aggressive kid. I grew up in the hood, but I was not an aggressive kid at all. I was like Switzerland in World War II. Can't we not all get along? I, I declare neutrality. I'm for all of you know. I'm just trying not to get beat up, right? And he pulls me off, and all I can say, he took a bite of my grandma's meatloaf sandwich. <laughs> and from that point on, Eric became one of my best friends. Never mess with me again. Let me, two morals of this story. Number one, some things you're not going to get back without a fight. If you're waiting for it to magically kind of float down and fall on your lap, no, 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 no. Paul told Timothy, you need to wage war according to those prophecies given to you. We need to get your fight back. We need to get you back in the fight. But before that, you got to get your fight back to get back in the fight. Second truth, some of y'all need to train the devil you're too expensive to mess with. Y'all need to go Luke 11. It is written. It is written. It is written. If you begin to make the devil pay it back, it's finally going to get to the point where the devil finds out you're too expensive to mess with. 
He's going to find a more different route, a different way. If every time he hits you, you get discouraged, you want to quit, and you get down, you're training the devil to keep punching you in that area. But you got to get off the defense and get on the, on the, come on, like either we're going to be spiritually wounded or spiritual warriors. I took the same hits. I open up, man, the losses I had. But at the same time, deep in my spirit, there's something that has resurrection ring to it, a DNA of an overcomer. There's something in me that says greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. There's something in me that says, devil, you're not going to finish the rest of my story. You're not having my marriage. You're not having my kid's destiny. You're not having my block, my city, my region. You're not having California. You're not having our nation. You're not having the church. Jesus is going to have the last word. All right. I've been to the Middle East. I imagine there was probably some footprints because here's David. Here's his men. They dropped the rocks. We got to go get back what they took from us. We got to find the Amalekites. So I imagine there's initial footprints, but I imagine there comes a certain place, and the narrative would obviously give this indication that maybe those sandstorms washed the footprints so they lost their Waze app on their, on their smartphone and they don't know which way to go. And right before that, they come to a brook. Last service, I talked a little bit more about the brook. For the sake of time, I now, and by the way, I'll just simply say this one third of his army stayed at a brook. Barna said one third of people that attended church pre-COVID never made it back. Somebody say, we got to cross this brook. Come on. We got to cross this brook. We got to get back in the fight. Now, there's a part, I'm going to shave that so I can hit this. The Bible says, Charles, that David found an Egyptian. This Egyptian was very unique because remember, David's just walking in an area hoping that somehow he could find clues as to where the Amalekites are and if his family's still alive and what kind of stuff. Obviously, the stuff would still be there. Maybe they, they kept, they were going to use them as servants maybe or slaves. Maybe they're still alive. He finds an Egyptian. The story behind the Egyptian, the Marvel Cinematic Universe origin story, is this dude was a servant to the Amalekites. All of a sudden, his nose started running. He started coughing, lost his sense of taste and smell. They're like, bro, you got COVID, dude. We're going to leave you here, all right? It's going to be three millennials before they invent an N95 mask, right? And so they leave him back sick. They leave him to die. But guess what? God miraculously kept an Egyptian alive. Your miracle happens when you begin in motion and you don't even know that as you begin to jump back in the fight, God's going to place an Egyptian. Here they are. He gives the Egyptian water and food and there's so many things I could talk about that, but this Egyptian was the key to him getting everything back. The Lord, I I believe there's Egyptians for the North American church that we're going to find in this hour. And all of a sudden, he's pouring water. He's giving them some, I think the Bible says they were giving them grapes and figs, clusters. And all of a sudden, this dude gets enough energy. And I can just imagine, he goes, they went that away. All of a sudden, they said, come on, come with us, man. They kept him. And the fast forward is someone comes to the keys. The Bible says that David and his men came upon the Amalekite camp. And they fought for a day and half the next day. And the Bible says, David got back everything. Can you imagine the reunion that you're kissing your wives? You could do that in the Old Testament, okay? <laughs> and in Ogden, Utah. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, he's kissing his wives, <laughs> hugging his kids, 
all his men are got their stuff. The Roku TV, the dude's walking back with it. The Magnolia Farms book. I got my Bonanza DVD, dude. Oh, man, come on. My, <laughs> all right. But the Bible also says that David collected David's spoils. So watch this. This is, this is a picture of restoration. Because he fought for recovery and restoration, he didn't just get back what was stolen from him. He got everything the enemy had taken from anyone else. David's spoil, and thus, there it is. David's spoil is revival. I'm not just trying to get back to, to the church to pre-COVID levels. God, more importantly, is not trying to just get the church back to pre-COVID levels. See, the devil hit you. The devil came at you. The devil's attacked the church. He's coming after a generation. The, the conference, if you were there, and if you could go watch it online, I, I would invest anything I have to invest to see those. But all this has happened because I believe part of it is for us, this place where we go, if the devil's going to come at me like that and hit that hard and come after literally the juggler of my faith and the North American church and the church, hey, let me tell you something. I'm not just trying to get back and get a solid walk. I'm trying to get somebody saved. I'm trying to get somebody delivered. I'm fighting for revival. I'm going to be there at, at men's breakfast and prayer meetings or, 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 or soul service prayer or worship nights. I'm going to be at youth group. I'm going after God. Revival is our revenge, church. This whole pandemic is a portal. It is not a winter season. It's an ice age reset. And what God has available, and I think I said in the conference, the real crisis today is not the disease, germ, not all the dissension, the economy, wars, very, very concerning, not minimizing the concern of it. But the real crisis is the gap between our visible reality and what is biblically available. We need somebody who will cry, restore restore. Close your eyes. Jesus, Lord, we just thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you, Father, that you're wanting in this hour to encourage your people in such a mighty, profound way. I just pray even right now you're breaking discouragement off people right now. You are like my grandma would often do. She would when I was all dirty, playing in the mud and all the dirt and climbing trees, running around the hood, jumping in garbage cans. And I, I was dumpster diving before it even popular. She would take me in and she'd take out a wash rag and she'd come here, boy, and she'd wash all that off. I feel like the Lord is taking out the wash rag of heaven and washing off this past season, the vestiges and the things that's tried to cling to you as a residue. And God is saying, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna launch you. What you thought in all of this was something that would actually set you back is actually going to be a set up for my church. Set up for my church. So, so profound. 